Well, good morning. Would you join me in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? You know, in this day and age when Satan's lies about self-exaltation and his lies about the power of positive thinking have such a prominent foothold in the church, when Christian writers like Stephen B. Douglas and Lee Roddy in their book, Making the Most of Your Mind, are saying this, God placed an incredible principle in the human mind. And if we are confident and positive and assured, God can use all of the chemistry that positiveness conjures up within us to help us accomplish whatever it is that we are seeking to do. In a day when Christian motivational speakers like Zig Ziglar are saying such things as this in his book, See You at the Top, the title should tell you something. Quote, to build your self-esteem, make a list of your positive qualities on a card and keep it for handy reference. Brag on yourself from time to time. Get in your own corner. You should also set aside a few minutes each day for the sole purpose of deliberately looking at yourself in the mirror. And as you do this, repeat some positive affirmations of things you have done. Then repeat many of the things that other people have said to you or about you that are positive. There are also cases where plastic surgery can be quite helpful in building self-esteem. I think I can stop there. In our day when the message echoing through the church is be confident, be self-assured, be positive, brag about yourself, exalt yourself, it is so so refreshing to me to come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and notice what Paul says in verse 11 in the last four words. He says, I am am a nobody. Paul, give us your self-evaluation. Sum up who you are. Describe your self-image in a few words. And Paul says, I am nobody. Try saying that in front of the mirror every day. Who says this about themselves? Our heroes don't say these. LeBron James doesn't win win the championship and come out and say, I'm a nobody. You don't hear Randy Moss saying, I'm a nobody. You don't hear people saying this, but Paul says, I am a nobody. I don't think I can come up with a more negative statement than that. Now, Paul wasn't negative all the time. He was positive about the promises of God, but he was negative about the lies of Satan. He was positive about righteousness. He was negative about sin. He was positive about God. He was negative about self. I love to be around positive people. You see, the fault with positive thinking is not that it's positive. The fault of positive thinking is its power, and its purpose. You see, people who talk about positive thinking find the power from within, 
It's found in self, it's human potential, the power of the mind, my imagination, my thoughts, my desires, my words, my dreams. It's within me. The power is within me. And the purpose is to change that which is without the circumstances. I create my own universe. I make the world into whatever I want it to be. I incubate my future and I hatch the results. Now, a popular verse that adherents of positive thinking use is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. And if you would, turn over a few pages to that verse. I know you're familiar with it, but I want you to see it in its context. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Now, that's positive. But let's look more closely at this statement. Where is the power? I can do all things. Is Paul telling us that the power comes because this happens to be a positive statement? Is the power coming from some kind of chemistry in Paul's mind? Is it because he has plugged into some kind of cosmic reality principle that is there for anyone to plug into? No. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And how did we find out in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Christ strengthens us? Well, remember the paradox? Paul says in verse 9, power is perfected in weakness. And verse 10, when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, Paul is not being positive about self. He's being positive about Christ. That's where the power comes from. What is the purpose When he says, I can do all things, what are the all things? Well, the advocates of positive thinking would say, it's whatever I desire. It's success, it's wealth, it's prosperity, it's health. Well, let's look at the context. Look at verse 11 of Philippians chapter 4. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things. What are the all things? The all things are all circumstances. Good, bad, prosperity, poverty, being filled, going hungry, having abundance, suffering need. Paul says, I can go through all these circumstances and God gives me the power to do what? To be content. You see, God's power is not demonstrated in changing my circumstances. God's power is demonstrated in changing me in the midst of my circumstances. And the problem with positive thinking is it says if you would just take your dreams for what you want to change in your circumstances and say it and believe it enough, it will happen. That's not what God is about. 
God's purpose is about changing you, and oftentimes he brings those difficult circumstances into your life in order to get your attention, in order to be the pressure that allows change to happen in you. Let me show you another verse. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain. We say, yes, great gain. That means all my stocks will go up. If I serve God, everything's going to happen in prosperity in my life. Look again. But godliness actually is a means of great gain, when accompanied by contentment. There's that word again. Look at verse 7. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. He's not talking about material things here because he's talking about the fact that you didn't bring anything in, you're not going to take anything out. This is not material blessings. This is not prosperity. Notice verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be, what? Content. If I have the bare necessities, that's all I've got, I'm going to be content. So he's talking here about spiritual character, contentment, being content. He's talking about spiritual reward because he's talking about something that you can't take out of this world in your hands. It's something that God gives you that is spiritual and future. And then look at verse 9. But those who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The desire for riches which many in the world today or in the church today are saying is a wonderful thing The desire for riches opens the door to sin. Look at the words that he uses in these couple verses. He talks about the fact that it's temptation, a snare, foolish, harmful. It it plunges you into ruin, destruction. It's evil, and it pierces you with many griefs. And yet we say, dream of what you want. Think about it. Say it, believe it, and you have it. What does Paul say? Look at verse 11. But flee from these things. What are these things? The desire for materialism, the desire for prosperity, the desire for wealth. You see, that's not to be something I am incubating. That's to be something I am fleeing. And instead, what does he say in verse 11? And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. What's that? Godly character. You see, my desire is not that God would change my economic status and lavish prosperity on me. My desire is that God would change my heart and make me more like Jesus Christ. That's it. 
Now, he qualifies this because he wants you to be careful that you don't say, well, being rich is wrong. So notice what he says in verse 17. Instruct those who are rich to give it all away. No. Instruct those who are rich in this world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. If you've got money, don't be conceited and say, I've got money because God has blessed me. And you don't because God hasn't blessed you. Don't set your hope on your money. Our cash tells us that. Have you read it lately? Nobody carries cash anymore. The back of your bills, it says, in God we trust. And he says here, do not trust. Do not put your hope in your riches. Verse 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. How should you be rich? In good works, in generosity, in sharing. And then verse 19, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. What is the gain? It is spiritual character now and spiritual reward in the future. And that's the same message that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you come back to our passage this morning, where is the power? 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. Notice the last part of that verse. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. It's Christ's power. What is the purpose? Verse 10, therefore I am well content. There's that word again. Christ's power is in me. What happens? I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. And how do I unleash the power of God in my life? Look at the end of verse 10. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's why Paul is not standing in front of the mirror, inflating his self-esteem. That's why Paul can say, I am a nobody, because he knows that the power is in Christ and not in himself. And they read this passage and say, I think he's just posturing here. I think this is just sort of false humility. He's just sort of saying these words, but he doesn't mean this wor- these words. You know what? This is not the only time he says this. Let me show you something. Look at 1 Corinthians, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Paul says, Apollos and I are not anything. What what are you if you're not anything? You are nothing. Then later in the same book, chapter 15 and verse 9, Paul again assessing himself, says in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and am not fit to be called an apostle. I am the least and I am not fit if you heard somebody 
saying, I'm nobody, I'm not anything, I'm the least, I'm not fit, you would probably go to them and say, you know, you need some counseling. We need to get you in to see somebody who can build up, you know, kind of pump some steroids into your self-esteem because you don't need to be talking that way. You need to get in front of the mirror and say something positive about yourself because you got a problem. Did Paul have a problem? You know what's interesting in this verse? Come back to 2 second, second Corinthians. Well, no, stay here in, in uh, where are we? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hang on. I'm not used to going to this many passages. I stay in one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 10. I am the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle, he says in verse 9. And then he says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Where's somebody who calls himself a nobody get his value from? He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. God's grace works in me and through me to make me what I could never be myself. You see, there is nothing in me that warrants any esteem. But God, by his grace, has made me his child. And God, by his power, actually chooses to work through broken, weak vessels like me and like you to accomplish things that are not just temporal, but eternal. And that's an amazing thing to happen. But it doesn't happen because you're somebody. It happens because you're nobody and somebody made a difference in your life. There's a great verse in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is the, the passage that starts out that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and, you know, lifeless, and yet the grace of God showed up and made you alive, and it's nothing you did, and you can't boast about it. And we get to verse 10 of that great chapter, and it says this, for we are his workmanship. That's a great word. It's the Greek word, poema, from which we get our English word poem. You are God's poetry. You are God's masterpiece. And he is painting you with his multicolored grace. How much more valuable could you be? God turns around and says, here's my masterpiece. Now, when you see a painting, let me ask you this. What do you notice when you see a painting? Any of you come up to a painting and go, nice frame. That's really, look at that frame. It's so, mm. God is painting his masterpiece, and guess what? His masterpiece is not your physical body. His masterpiece is the inner you that he has made and created altogether new, and he wants to make you like Christ. And some of us spend our whole lives working on what? the frame. We worry about the frame. We try to make the frame impressive. And the reality is when you have a picture and you pick a frame, you pick a frame that complements the picture. 
And that's what God has done in your life. He has created you the way you are. And he has given you the circumstances he wants you to have. And those circumstances and who you are and what you look like complements the picture that he wants people to see. And that's what he's working on, the masterpiece in your life. And some of us are worried about changing the color of the frame and doctoring up the frame and making the frame look more impressive than the picture itself. You are God's masterpiece. You are a nobody that he made into somebody. Look at one other verse. Luke chapter 16. Because you're not going to appreciate that, this unless you get God's perspective. And God gives us his perspective in Luke chapter 16. Verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him, and he said to them... Now that's why it's important to understand the context of a verse. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who love money. And here's what he says to them, chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. That's a verse you need to meditate on. Because this is a key to understanding God's perspective on money and material things. He's talking to people who love money. And he says, you justify yourself. What does justify mean? It means declare righteous. It means I I say about myself, I'm okay. Because I'm better than somebody else. I hear more people today excited because Osama bin Laden is in hell. I hear more people talking about hell today than I ever hear people talking about. He's in hell and he deserves hell. The follow-up question would be, well, excuse me, do you deserve hell? Oh, no. No, not me. Osama bin Laden, being the guy that he is, justifies many people to say he deserves hell, but I'm better than him, so I deserve something better. We justify ourselves in the sight of men. And these men who love money, they justify their money and themselves by saying, I have this money because God is pleased with me. You ever find yourself thinking that way? God must be pleased with the way I'm living my life because he's blessing my business. In a tough economy, we're doing well, so God must be pleased with me. You are justifying yourself in the sight of men. And notice what Jesus says. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Now what is highly esteemed in the sight of men? Pretty easy to answer. Self is highly esteemed in the sight of man. Self-beauty, self-fame, self-fortune. We even have the word self-esteem. Makes it easy. 
What is esteem? Self. Because we say you have to have self-esteem. You have to elevate yourself. You have to exalt yourself. And when you exalt yourself, then you are a healthy human being. That's a lie. What is highly esteemed in the eyes of men? Self-esteem. And what does God think about that? Look at the verse. He detests those things. Wow. Everybody around me is telling me I need self-esteem. I get a little self-esteem and I look up at God and he's going, I hate that. You see, Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, you have to do what? Deny yourself. That's consistent throughout Scripture. Paul says, I'm a nobody. That's consistent because you have to deny yourself in order to follow Christ. You don't come and bring what you've got and say, God, I've got a lot of impressive qualities. I think you can use these. No. You have to deny yourself. You have to detest self-esteem. You see, if you are going to experience genuine value, genuine worth, you have to have God's perspective, and you have to detest self-esteem as well. You've got to discard the world's standards. Having possessions doesn't make me somebody. Being famous doesn't make me somebody. Being on the cover of GQ magazine doesn't make me somebody. Genuine worth doesn't come from people and their applause and what they esteem highly. Genuine worth comes from God and what he esteems highly. And what is it that God esteems highly? Well, I can tell you in one word. The thing that God esteems highly is humility. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. I haven't even started the passage, and I'm out of time. So we we got a problem here. Um, I'm going to stop. I was debating. Uh, speed preaching, you know. It's, it's, uh, but we will come back to this passage because I got too many verses to cover. But let me add this in closing. Look back at Second Corinthians twelve. 11, if you can find it. I'm all over the place here today. 2 Corinthians 12, 11. Notice this verse. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. Isn't that interesting? He says, I am a nobody, and in the same verse, he says, I'm not inferior. That almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? 
I'm a nobody who's not inferior. I'm a nobody who's somebody. And next time we're going to discover why he can say that in this passage, because he's going to spell it out for us, so you've got to come back. How do you become a nobody who's not inferior? How can you stand in front of the mirror every day and say, you're nobody, you're nobody, you're nobody, and walk away without an inferiority complex? This passage is going to show us how Paul does that and how you can do it as well. My challenge to you today is to stop listening to what the world is telling you about self-esteem. Stop listening to what many preachers today in the church are telling you about self-esteem. Because no matter how you dress up the self and pretty up the self and make the self behave, it's still the self. And the Bible tells us that I am crucified with Christ. Who's that? Me, the self. Crucified, dead, gone. And I am a new man in Jesus Christ. And we need to focus not on making ourselves pretty. We need to focus on denying myself so that I might be all that I can be in Jesus Christ. That's a radical, paradoxical statement that goes totally against the grain of what you're being told by the world today and by many in the church. And if you don't get a hold of it, you will be fooling yourself into some kind of false Christianity, some kind of uh, hypocritical Christianity because you're trying to dress up somebody who's dead and gone and not really being who you are. You can be nobody who's somebody in Jesus Christ. That's why I love Jane's testimony today. She was suffering from depression. The answer wasn't you need to talk to yourself in the mirror and get some positive statements. It was came to God and asked for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And he made her a new creature in Christ. And I met with her in my office, and she was full of joy. I never would have guessed there was any depression there at all because Jesus makes us a new creature in Christ. I'm going to have the praise team come back and sing. As they do, I want you to reflect on your perspective. Maybe you're sitting here today and the things that you value the things that you esteem highly are the things of this world. Love of self, love of money, love of things. God is telling you today that he detests those very things. Our challenge today is to turn away from the world's perspective and get God's perspective on things. That he wants me to deny myself. To be able to honestly say before God, I'm a nobody. But in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he has made me a new person, and he gets all the glory. As we close today, let's stand and sing and allow the Lord to really challenge our hearts.